0: Well good morning again. Merry Christmas early. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center. It is great having you here. So many of you call Bible Center Church your home. I uh, thank you for being here this Sunday. It's good to see uh, those of you who are guests, some new faces. I see some college students from out of town. It's great to have you back with us as well. Uh, Bible Center School parents, thank you for bringing your children for the elementary choir and the middle school choir It was good to hear them sing. And I always want to welcome those who are joining us online. This week I was talking with uh, one of our dear ladies and who had gone through a pretty difficult week. And she said, man, I never miss a Sunday. I never miss a Sunday online. Uh, So we're glad to have you as well. Christmas season has officially started here at Bible Center. Uh, We've decorated Paula and her team, the team of young professionals, I think they've done a great job decorating the church. Will you join me in just thanking all the hard work they've done? You're going to see little things continue to pop up over the course of the holiday season. And uh, we decorated our house. Actually, I shouldn't say we. My wife, uh, Sarah, and our children decorated our house. I had one job, and that was to keep the dog from eating the Christmas ornaments. Uh, I didn't succeed, but I'm still going to continue to try because there's more ornaments on the tree. But today I want to begin by asking a question. Actually, I want to do a survey uh, about decorating for Christmas. When do you feel it is appropriate to begin decorating? How many of you believe that really, ideally, you should wait until December 1st? If you're in the December 1st camp, would you raise your hand? Ideally, you know, you're not judgmental about it, but ideally, okay, December 1st. How many of you are more like the Thanksgiving dinner crowd? You're like, hey, after Thanksgiving dinner, it's all fair game. You can start to decorate. All right. How many of you believe you can decorate before Thanksgiving? I mean, you're the leave the Christmas lights up all year crowd. This is you. Okay, very, very good. Yeah, Christmas is a really happy time of year. It's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, But as I get to know you more over the last three years, I'm learning that for some of you, a uh, Christmas can be very, very difficult uh, for different reasons. Uh, if you see one more Jared commercial, he went to Jared, you're going to throw something at the TV. Somebody told me two weeks ago, if they see one more Hallmark movie, they're going to go get a root canal uh, just to cheer themselves up. So maybe that's you. Maybe last year was a good Christmas, but this year, your job is in jeopardy. Your marriage is falling apart. One of your children is running away from God. Maybe you're a student and your parents always fight and you can't wait to get out of the house. Maybe you're a little older and you're lonely and and you thought the children would come around more than what they do. Maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one. Maybe you're a single parent and money is tight. Maybe you're not a single parent, but money is still tight. Some of you received some really bad news from the doctor this last month. Some of you have chronic pain and and you pray and you love and you serve Jesus, but it never seems to go away. Some of you are leaders and you love Christmas and you love Jesus and you love the manger scene, but you're tired. You're drained emotionally, physically. What's going on at your job? What's going on in your home? What's going on in the world? And maybe for some of you, it's even worse. Maybe you hate to look at yourself in the mirror. And you've even been tempted with ending it all or doing something else to hurt yourself because you can't stand this season. If you fall into that category anywhere, I want to say this series is for you. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through the series, Hope Has a Name, And we're going to be looking at the four names of Jesus from Isaiah 9-6. It says he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. My goal for this season is to bring our focus back to Jesus. And maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you're, you're pondering, you're wondering, what does it really mean to be a Christian? You, you want to follow Jesus, but you're not sure what that means, or you know what that means, and you're still weighing your options. I'm praying for you that this season, in this series, you will choose to follow Jesus. I'm praying that he opens your heart and gives you eternal life and gives you meaning like you've never had before. For those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, but you're struggling, I'm praying that you will indeed find the reason for the season. That's not going to look the same for all of us. It doesn't mean you're going to skip out of here with joy every single Sunday. But I want to help you right where you are, and I think this passage does just that. In this first sermon today, we're going to look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor, So I thought I would tell you what I'm going to try to do. In the next few minutes, I'm going to try to inspire you with why Jesus is a wonderful counselor. I'm going to do my best to inspire you with why Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And then we're going to close with three practical applications. If I do my job and if my prayers are answered that you believe he's a wonderful counselor, I'm going to give you three things to go and do this week starting today. The message moves quickly, so you're going to want to take notes. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. If you would turn with me in your Bibles or Bible app. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along on the screens or on your Bible or on the app. Please stand with me out of respect for God's word as we read. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We begin today by asking, how is this verse relevant for us in 2018? How can this famous Christmas verse possibly apply to the situations in which we find ourselves every single day? Well, it's helpful at the beginning to realize that this verse wasn't given at Christmas. There was no Christmas at this time. Christmas hadn't happened yet, but this verse was was actually given to God's people in a very troublesome time. It was a dark and gloomy time for the people of Israel. I want to try to set the stage. The year was 735 B.C., and the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. You had the northern nation of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah, and really both of them had forgotten God. The king in the south was a man by the name of Ahaz. He was related to King David. He knew all the writings of David, all the writings of Moses, but Ahaz had also forgotten God. And so Isaiah, the prophet, the pastor Isaiah, comes to King Ahaz and he warns him, If you don't turn your life back to God, the enemies of God's people, specifically the nation of Assyria, the powerhouse And that region long before Babylon and long before Greece and long before Rome. Assyria will come and they're going to wipe you out. Well, things had gotten really, really bad. Assyria was just outside the city gates. In many cases in 735 BC. So picture with me, you have your family huddled together. You can hear the enemy army outside the city walls. And you know things are not going well. And so you're huddled together. You're going to try to do your best. If the enemy breaks through the gates, you're going to try to protect your family. But you know it's going to be futile. And you, you huddle underneath this overhang, and, and you've got your family together. And, and what you don't realize is you've actually huddled underneath the balcony of the palace. And after a few minutes, you hear two people, two men, begin to talk. One of them is King Ahaz, and the other one is Pastor Isaiah. Pastor Isaiah again comes to King Ahaz on the balcony and you overhear their conversation and he says, Ahaz, turn back to God. Turn to your Savior. Turn to your rock. And Ahaz says, I don't want to. Because I know if I turn back to God, I'm going to have to obey and do what God tells me to do. I'm going to continue to try the psychics. I'm going to continue to try the spirits. I'm going to continue to try to to hear voices from the dead, but I do not want to turn back to God. And Isaiah warns him, and he says, if you don't, the enemy is going to break through the walls, and God's going to use them to be your judge. And for a split second, you can almost hear King Ahaz you can almost hear him crack just a bit, and he says, well, how do I know what you're saying is true? And Isaiah, the pastor, the prophet, he says, well, God's going to give you a son. There's going to be a child that's born that's going to be a deliverer for you and your people. There's going to be a great child who's born. Now, the big question in Bible prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9 is who is the child? Who is the child? Some think that the child was Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. It is true that Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, became a great deliverer for his people. King Ahaz was one of the most righteous kings of the south. He wasn't a perfect king, but he was one of the most righteous kings. And he, he led a great revival that, that saved the nation, the kingdom of Judah, for over 100 years. Some believe that maybe even Hezekiah was a baby at the time that Isaiah was talking to to Ahaz. So he could have been talking about Hezekiah. But most Bible scholars believe that, that even if he was referring partially to Hezekiah, the baby, that there was another baby to be born about 700 years later that fulfilled the entire prophecy. That baby was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, if you're taking notes, uh, I'll ask you to put on your big boy prophecy pants just for a moment. And and I want to share with you how prophecy works in the Old Testament. Often in the Old Testament, prophecy uh, had had an immediate fulfillment, and then it had a long fulfillment, somewhere off into the future. It was kind of like the mountain ranges of West Virginia. I love this picture of different mountains in West Virginia. We'll throw the picture up on the screen. You have the mountain that's close... And it looks like the mountain behind it isn't all that far away. But if you get in the airplane, you'll find that maybe there are miles between mountains, even though from a distance, the mountaintops look very, very close together. And so when we look at the child in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, most scholars believe that there was immediate fulfillment. That was Hezekiah, the child who would be born and save Judah for quite a while, for several generations. But the ultimate fulfillment of the child has to be Jesus Christ. And I'll give you three reasons quickly why. You can jot these down. The first reason is the names that are given to the child in this verse. Notice the names in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So throughout this series, we're going to see that these names could not apply to just any human baby. The second reason we know it couldn't just be Hezekiah's son was because he says in Isaiah 7, this is a miraculous sign. The child that's born is a miraculous sign. Now I'm going to try to be as couth, right, as I possibly can be. Childbirth is a miracle. Every, both of our little girls, when they were born, we said, this is a miracle. Thank God for the miracle of childbirth. But it's a miracle in a different way than the miracle of Isaiah 7 through 9. Here's what I mean. When our little girls were born, no, the nurses did not leave our hospital room and say, call the Charleston Gazette. Ch- call the, the Charlotte newspaper. Katie was born in Charlotte. C- call because th- this, is a mer- this is unheard of. This has never happened before. Right? Nobody did that. I mean, we all know how it happened, right? I put on my Old Spice cologne. I took my wife out for a date, <laughs> swept her off her feet. Nine months later, our daughters were born. That's how it works. So it's miraculous, but it's not miraculous like this miraculous. He says a virgin shall conceive. And so he's talking about somebody else that's, that's not just human, but someone who's also divine. The third reason we know the child has to be Jesus, and you can read this on your own this week, is Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 61, and Isaiah 63. You want to write down those three chapters. All three of those chapters, Isaiah continues to unpack the description of the child. And there's no way, according to those three chapters, that the child was merely human. This was Jesus Christ. Isaiah seven fourteen, he told King Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. We see in this passage, wonderful counselor. And it moves quickly, but if you have your notes in your bulletin, you see that the word wonderful means beyond comprehension, too magnificent for words. Beyond comprehension, too magnificent for words. The Hebrew word is pele. For you soccer fans, it's kind of like Pele, but it's pronounced a little differently. Pele. It means exceptional, incomprehensible, beyond natural occurrence. It's the word that the prophets used when the word glorious, magnificent, or awesome just wasn't good enough. So this is a really, really big deal. He's a wonderful counselor. The word counselor, Hebrew word is yawetz. It means authoritative advisor. It refers to kings and queens who offer wisdom to their people. So this idea of counselor doesn't refer to the person you call at midnight when you've got a question or a burden, or you want to complain to somebody. The word counselor refers to an authoritative, a royal counselor who advises. The same Hebrew word was applied to King Solomon, who is the master wise counselor. So Isaiah comes along and he says there's going to be a baby born. That is the Pele Yawetz. He is a wonderful counselor. And of course we know that that's Jesus Christ. So why was Jesus a wonderful counselor? Two reasons. First of all, Jesus can relate to our suffering. Number one, he can relate to our suffering. Think about the person in your life that you go to for counseling. Who would you say is a good counselor? Some of you, maybe you, you pay a therapist or you come and see some of our pastors or our counseling office. Maybe you have a, a father or a mother or a cousin or a friend at work that is a wonderful counselor. I'll ask, what makes them so wonderful? It's probably because they can relate to your life in some way. When we talk to somebody, when I talk to somebody, I want to know if I've got a burden to share, that they've experienced a similar burden, or at least they can relate, they understand. Think about how relatable the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus Christ, is to all of humanity. Jesus was born in the worst kind of poverty. Mary and Joseph were the poorest of the poor. We see this in that he had to be born in a stable. He was born... Uh, with the animals that did not smell like nutmeg and cinnamon you say well he had to be born there because there was no hotel room open in bethlehem well actually it never says that in the passage it just says they went to a specific inn there was no room for them in that particular kind of inn joseph was poor he could only afford a certain kind of inn a certain kind of room and so joseph knowing he couldn't pay the price if you were a king that came to town you could have stayed anywhere you wanted But Joseph couldn't, and so his wife gave birth in a stable. When Jesus was dedicated at the temple, his parents didn't have a rich sacrifice, the lamb, or even a middle-class sacrifice. But his parents had a pigeon, which was the sacrifice for baby dedication of the poor. And when Jesus died, he was clothed, he was wrapped in rags, and placed in a borrowed tomb. Jesus can relate to all of humanity. See, he can always relate up. But thankfully, Jesus wasn't born in a palace because then Jesus couldn't have related to most of us. Isaiah 53 tells us what Jesus suffered. It says he had no beauty, verse 2, or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. If you wish you looked differently, you ever feel like you're substandard? Read Isaiah 53 and verse 2. Jesus wasn't a model. He was just a normal-looking Jewish boy. Notice verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Verses 4 through 6 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, we, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God forgave us because Jesus took our punishment. He knows suffering in a way that none of us know suffering. Notice verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. All of this points us back to the fact that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselors know, they can feel the suffering of their people. And I never really thought about it until this week. Think about every good work that Jesus did. Every good work that he did was always to relieve some kind of suffering. Every single time. Now, you you learn, you know, in seminary, and, and you've learned in core classes over the years that... That Jesus did these miracles, one of the reasons he did it was to prove that he was God. And that's certainly one of the reasons Jesus did what he did, all the good works. But think about the good works that he did. If he was only trying to prove he was God, he could have levitated across the Sea of Galilee. Like, hey, disciples, just wait here for just a minute. I'm going to levitate and I'm going to prove to you that I am God in the flesh. But he never did that. Think about it. So think with me, I'm just chewing on this this week. Every miracle that I can think of that Jesus ever did resolved or temporarily solved some form of suffering. And I believe he did it to show us this yes, that he was God, but number two, he cares. He did it to show that Jesus cares. He is the wonderful counselor, he came for people with problems. He said he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came not to reward the righteous, but to save the sinner. There's a philosophy that says, hey, leave all your problems at the door, and let's just come and celebrate Jesus. But I believe if Jesus was the pastor of Bible Center Church, he would say, no, bring your problems with you. Bring your burdens with you. Don't leave them at the door, because he is the Savior of suffering. Why is he a wonderful counselor? He can relate to our suffering. But number two, he can relate to our temptation. Maybe you've never heard this before. This is, a, this is an important part, an important piece of the puzzle of the Christian life. Hebrews 4.15 is very clear. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Let that set sink in for just a moment. Think about this week. How were you tempted to sin against the Lord? How did you give in to that temptation? Or if you didn't give in to it, how did your flesh want to give in to that temptation? However you were tempted, Jesus Christ understands. Jesus Christ understands. Now, this verse doesn't say that at every single sin and every single instance in which you were tempted, he understands, or at least he experienced it exactly the same way, right? If you were stuck in traffic this week and some yahoo pulled out in front of you, it doesn't mean that Jesus drove a car and Jesus wanted to say the exact same words that you said whenever that car pulled out in front of you. But there was some other instance like it Something like it in every similar way that you were tempted, every kind of sin, public, private, sins of the spirit, sins of the flesh, Jesus was legitimately tempted. This is important because it reminds us why Jesus came for us. Our greatest problem is not the enemy outside the gates. This is what Ahaz needed to understand. Our greatest problem is the enemy inside our hearts. And even if they had saved uh, Assyria and, or Israel and Judah from Assyria, and even if Israel and Judah were never ransacked by the enemy, there still needed to be a Savior to come. A child needed to be born who lived the perfect life that you and I could never live to die the death, to pay the price you and I could never pay. Sin is the root of our problems. In all of his writings, one of his writings, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, described evil as a shape-shifter. He said evil is like a shadow. After you defeat it, it takes another shape and it grows again. Think about the technological advances of our day. Even though we're more advanced than civilization has ever been, we have the same problem civilization has always had. J.D. Greer writes, We cry out to be delivered from bad health, but God wants to deliver us from the curse of death that causes bad health. We cry out to be delivered from injustice and broken relationships, but God wants to deliver us from the sin and selfishness and ego that breaks those relationships. We cry out for victory in the battle, but God has promised a Messiah who takes away the hatred that drives us into battle in the first place. Jesus understands your temptation. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, there are many more reasons, but we were just going to look at those two. If you believe that He's a wonderful counselor, Before we close, I want to quickly give you three ways that you can live it out today. Three ways you can live it out in your life this week. How should we respond to the wonderful counselor? Number one, truly want to be healed. Number one, truly want to be healed. Let's go back to context for a minute. We think about the passage we're going through. Instead of just pulling out ideas randomly out of the scriptures, King Ahaz did not want to be healed spiritually. I encourage you this week to read Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, he came up with every excuse not to be healed. So you got this family again, The picture they're huddled underneath the palace balcony and, and, and they're hearing Isaiah tell Ahaz, hey, the, the enemy's coming, repent or God is going to judge you. And the father and the mother are saying, just whispering to themselves, please, King, please repent. Turn us back to God. Turn our nation back to God. We don't want to die. But for the longest time, Ahaz did not want to be spiritually healed. It reminds me of the true story from Jesus' life in John 5. The reference is in your notes. In John 5, Jesus is walking by one day, the pool, and he sees a a man who had been unable to walk. He'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And in John 5, he says, Do you want to be healed? When we read that, we wonder, Why in the world would Jesus ask that? He asked the funniest questions, didn't he? Of course he wants to be healed. Everybody wants to be healed. Do they? And when the man said, yes, I want to be healed, Jesus said, rise and walk. Take up your bed and walk. But that teaches us an important lesson. While many people want to experience the benefits of healing, often we don't want to go through the painful choices that accompany our healing. If we want God to clean up our lives, first we must want spiritual healing. It reminds me of the prayer that Augustine prayed hundreds of years ago, talking about the prayer he prayed before he became a Christian. He said, God, make me pure, just not yet. God, make me pure, just not yet. What is it that you know you need to be healed from? And so I ask, do you want to be healed? I hope you do. So number one, want to be healed. Number two... This week, how can we respond to the wonderful counselor? Well, number two, be completely honest. Be completely honest. Every counselor tells us that until we're completely honest with them, when I go to a counselor, when you go to a counselor, until we're completely honest, they can't help us. Now, the times I've been to counseling, the time you've been to counseling, if you're anything like me, I don't want to give the true story. Or if I'm talking with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, I'm asking to pray for me or one of my mentors. I'll first, you know, want to make the story look as good as possible. Why do we do that? It could be fear. It could be shame. We don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to really know what we've done or what we wish we would have done if we only would have had the chance. But he said instead he calls us as the wonderful counselor to be completely honest. We have to participate. You can read all about it in Isaiah chapter 8. King Ahaz blamed everybody. He blamed the land. He blamed the spirits. He blamed his allies. Again, he blamed the psychics. He even in chapter 8 blamed God. He was like, God, this is your fault. And you know, God's like, I told you what to do, and I'm offering you salvation. He's like, God, this is your fault. He blamed everybody else except his own sin. It reminds me of the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus meets the woman at the well in the middle of the day. He knew that the woman hadn't lived a, a holy life, a godly life, and she was trying to talk spiritual talk to make Jesus think that she was more spiritual than what she was. And after a few sentences, finally, Jesus looked right at her, and he said, Look, I know you've had five husbands, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. I knew that before we started the conversation, and I still came after you, I still talked to you, and I still loved you. Jesus just wanted her to be honest. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy who are you blaming for your problems today certainly certainly our story certainly people have done us wrong certainly our genetics there's all kinds of influences so you will never hear me say that everything is only the result of your choice you'll never hear me say that but if you're anything like me Do you ever blame everybody else before you look on the inside? Boy, I do sometimes. And God invites me to be honest. And I want to invite you this Christmas season. Be honest with God. Lord, it's my fault that I've made this choice. It's my fault that I keep going back to this sin. It is my fault that I've got an anger problem. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my kid's fault. It's my fault. Honesty is the first step to healing. Number three, how can we respond to the Wonderful Counselor? Lastly, do whatever he says. Just do whatever the Wonderful Counselor says. Unfortunately, the Northern Kingdom didn't do this. Within three years after this prophecy, Assyria, under the the leadership of Tiglath-Pileser III, came and conquered or began to conquer the Northern Kingdom. Within 13 years, all of Israel had fallen, the northern kingdom did not want to do what the wonderful counselor told them to do. Maybe you're here today and you say, "Pastor, I, you know, I, I know what God wants me to do. It just doesn't sound very wonderful." You ever notice that? What God tells us to do often isn't the glamorous thing. It doesn't sound very wonderful. I want to encourage your heart with John chapter nine. In John chapter nine, Jesus. I was talking with a man who was blind. The man wanted to be healed, desperately wanted to be healed. And so Jesus, after he found out that he wanted to be healed, took some mud and spit in his hand, John 9 says. And he rubbed the mud on the blind man's eyes. Kind of sounds nasty, really, right? I know it's Jesus, but he was human, and that's just gross. And, and, and he sent the man down to the well or to the pool, and he says, go wash the mud off, and then your eyes will see. Why did he do that? I've heard commentaries and seen commentaries say, well, it was magic mud, right? It was magic mud. Probably not. I believe over and over again, Jesus gave people tests and he says, This is what I want you to do. It doesn't sound very wonderful. You might even get spit mud in your eyes. But notice this passage never says that the council is wonderful. Who's wonderful? The Counselor is wonderful. If we fall in love with the Counselor, we'll be willing to do whatever the council says. This week, my mind was drawn back to Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the Christian church. Stephen probably had a wife. He probably had children. And he would not renounce Jesus. And so the leaders of the day took rocks and began to drop him on Stephen and throw rocks at Stephen. And they stoned him to death. You can imagine what his children were praying. Imagine what his wife was, was praying. Oh God, save my husband. Lord, save Stephen. This stinks. But you remember what happened to Stephen in Acts 7? If you're new to Christianity, you've got to read it. He, he looks up and what does he see? Whom does he see? He sees not wonderful counsel. He doesn't see God's timeline laid out in a a three-point bulleted chart, but he sees the wonderful counselor. This Christmas season, our prayer, we've got Christmas lights and Christmas music and Christmas cookies and Christmas poinsettias and all kinds of Christmas. But my prayer is that you will fall in love with Christ. Because if you see him as the wonderful counselor, whatever he calls you to do, you'll do it. Even if it's hard. Even if it doesn't make sense. This past week, I got a little experience with a wonderful, lesser wonderful counselor. Somebody who showed me grace. Mike, John, and I, chairman of our elders, drove up to Golly Bridge to, to a funeral. It was about a few minutes north of Golly Bridge. And, and so we're, I, I minded my speed most of the time. I really did. That's me being honest. All right, I have cruise control. But when I went through Golly Bridge, and we started looking at the town, and we were talking. And it's not a very big town. You know, it's not very far from here. As we're driving through Golly Bridge, I wasn't paying attention to my speed. And we got outside of town. And there's this black charger, I think it was a charger, unmarked car, all the lights are flashing, pulls right up behind me, right? I mean, you can see my Bible Center school, Bible Center church stickers, you can see it, you know, right up behind me. And I'm sitting with, you know, the chairman of our elders and, you know, trying to, like, there's no way to make this holy, right? I'm just getting pulled over. So we pulled over and, and he gets out, walks up, and I'm like, man, what, you know, what happened? And, and he said, uh, can I see your license and registration? And I said, absolutely. How fast was I going? He said, you're going 39 and a 25. I wasn't paying attention. I was like, oh man, I'm so, so sorry. And, and I tried to weave it into the conversation that I was a pastor. And, and <laughs> he probably already knew from my stickers. Uh, I was on my way to a funeral, you know, we tried to play, play that card. The guy was so nice. Officer Pat was his name. And, and I said, but I understand. I, I, this is, this isn't acceptable. I'm happy to pay it. And and he said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a warning. And as we were talking, you know, I, I asked him, I said, well, we're going to come back through town. What is the speed again? I want to make sure I go the speed. He said, the speed's 25. Make sure you go slow when you come back through town. You got it, Mr. Pat. I'm going to go slow. And by the way, while you're here, get yourself something to eat. Well, where do we eat? There's, we got a Geno's. Hey, we're going to eat at Gino's. My, no problem, man. We're going to eat at your Geno's. We're going to buy the best thing on the menu. No, we didn't say that. Um, so we go to the funeral. Mike, John, and I stopped by Geno's, and we actually saw him. He was beside the road, and we rolled our witness down, honked our horn, and waved at him, which was probably really (laughs) good. But we were, I was genuinely excited because he showed me grace. And because he showed me grace, I was willing to eat at Geno's in Golly Bridge because the mercy he had given. God's given you something so much better than just salvation or forgiveness from a speeding ticket. He has saved your soul from so much. So this Christmas season, determine to do whatever the wonderful counselor wants you to do. He's beyond comprehension. He's too magnificent for words. He's an authoritative advisor, as kings and queens offer wisdom to their people. Why is he so wonderful? Well, because he relates to your suffering and he relates to your temptation. Do you really want to be healed? Then this Christmas, be completely honest and do whatever he says. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful counselor of Jesus Christ. Every one of us need a counselor. Every one of us need Jesus. Jesus. I pray for the man or woman, student here who doesn't know you as their Savior today, they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I pray for the Christian, whatever you're calling them to do, that right now in this moment of prayer, they'll be honest with you. Lord, it's so easy to blame others, but I pray that we would be honest with you and do whatever you say. With heads bowed and eyes closed, right where you sit, let me invite you to take a few minutes to pray. We have... Time for prayer at the end of all of our services now. Take a couple minutes and just pray. Talk to the Lord. If you need special prayer, we have a prayer room back off to my left. I'm going to ask them to open the doors. If you want to slip out now and slip back to the prayer room, you feel free to do that. Just say, hey, I need somebody to pray with me. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you'd like to. Right there where you sit, you can become a follower of Christ. There's no magic words. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As I pray this prayer, would you pray this prayer with me in your heart? Would you give your life to Christ this morning? I'll pray this. You just pray this in your heart right along with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a counselor. I ask you to save me today. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. I want to live my life for him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you say, Pastor Matt, I prayed that. I meant that, and I'm glad that I did. I will not embarrass you at all. But just so I can know roughly where you're sitting, where you are, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor Matt, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. This morning, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Would you slip up your hand right where you are? Thank God for you. I saw this one young man over on my left, back on the back. This one gentleman back on my back right. Anybody else? Pastor Matt, I prayed it. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Thank God for you. You're in the middle section. We would love to take a Bible and encourage you three. Let me encourage you after the service. Stop by the prayer room. Tell Pastor Dickie, Hey, I prayed that prayer today. Now what? We'd love to help you grow as a Christian. Take a minute, follower of Jesus. Continue to pray before we close. Father, I commit my own soul to you. I commit the souls of our church, my brothers and sisters to you. Help us to want to be healed this week. Help us to be honest with you and do whatever you say. Most of all this Christmas season, help us to love the wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name.